when you think loyal to the soil, what comes to mind? Mm, trust in the process, man. Loyal to the soil. You know where you came from. When, when that pops up into my head, I, I start to think of the whole, and this is something we learned in college football too, yeah. water the bamboo. For this episode of Loyal to the Soil, we have Josh Molina. He moved to Vegas when he was 12. He's a co-founder of Makers and Finders, coffee and, it's a coffee and tea Latin America breakfast and brunch in the Arts District of Las Vegas, founded in 2014. Opened a location in downtown Summerlin in 2017. Um, actually was on the top influential people of Las Vegas under 40, and that's where I found Josh and read his story and reached out to him. So thanks for coming on, Josh. Thanks for having me, Tyson. It's exciting. So one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, I was reading up on makers and finders and everything, and I did see that you had some, you know, Colombian and New York roots. Is that the biggest influence for makers and finders? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I'm first generation Colombian American, so both my parents were born in Colombia. My dad is born in Medellin. My mom from Cali. Uh, so definitely pl played an influential part in makers and finders and moving to the west coast from new york city uh, go it, the biggest density of colombians living in the united states is in queens new york which is where i'm from so going from being like a majority to then coming to las vegas and being a minority where you know it's usually more mexicans central american uh, uh latinos that live in las vegas so it kind of was a little bit of an interesting uh culture culture shock um and so it really, it really set in with me and kind of carried that around for many years. And after, you know, I became an adult, it, 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 it came out in the form of makers. So makers and finders. Awesome. So where did the idea of makers and finders kind of come from? So uh, definitely was kind of what I was speaking to that I come to Las Vegas, Colombian bakeries, Colombian culture, Colombian food is a huge and integral part of the New York City scene, urban mm -hmm. scene. So uh, seeing that so that it wasn't represented, I think we've literally had one Colombian restaurant in this entire city of two million plus people for the last almost two decades. So uh, I knew that, you know, as I, I was as I was getting older, I'm seeing the market and I'm seeing that, hey, it's this is doesn't make much sense um, you know it's uh, our food is delicious it's made with so much love like all the other Latin American foods that are out there it's so distinct too and that's part of the Latin American culture we're very passionate about where we're from in Latin America and we all have our own lingo slang foods uh, dishes and styles of doing it so I, uh, I you know I started looking I definitely knew that there was space for another Colombian-influenced uh, restaurant. But I didn't want to make it a Colombian restaurant in the sense that, you know, most authentic places, uh, uh, the food is 
incredible, but there's a little bit of a barrier, you know, whether it's a language barrier, whether it's understanding the menu, the ease of being able to um, repeat visits is a little more for the more curious or the more experimental uh, people. So I wanted to do something that was very approachable, very repeatable, easy to navigate. And so that's how I, that's kind of where the concept was born. And um, we went through several iterations of the name. So it was, it was Makers and Finders was, it happened, that happened after we started building out our Main Street location, Arts District location. Uh, we were several different names beforehand. Um, but uh, in a meeting with one of my mentors that I, you know, one of the first people who kind of just showed me, showed me the ropes in business, uh, shout out to Eric James. And uh, so I was in the insurance business, right? He took me on. Uh, I was 17. He, uh, you know, that was, his, that was his thing. You know, he liked young, uh, capable men who had an interest in business. So uh, fate had it that I was faxing in back when I used to fax resumes. <laughs> yeah, I uh, had a list of 20 different offices that I just literally put the faxing my resume over and over again. And I got a call two minutes after I faxed it in to Eric. And, uh, you know, he had me come in and hired me on the spot. And my first task was to, was he dropped a stack of resumes on my desk. Uh, after well, He called me new guy for like the first two months. <laughs> and, uh, and then he dropped a stack of resumes an hour in because I started, he hired me and he's like, when can you start working? I'm like, immediately. He's like, okay, then go sit at your desk. And I was like, okay. I didn't think it was that immediate. I was talking more about tomorrow, but you know, necessity was in place. So I, I, I just jumped right in. And, um, and he dropped a stack of resumes, and I'm like, what's this? He's like, well, these are the people that didn't get the job that you got. And, uh, and I was kind of looked at him a little dumbfounded. He's like, you're going to call them, all of them, and let them know that the position's been filled. And that was the beginning of that relationship. So oh, wow. you can imagine, you know, he was a very, uh, I don't know if he remembers this, uh, that scene, but in my head it was definitely something that, made me step out of my comfort zone immediately and uh and then from there just learned you know took me to my first contract signing started learning the legal lingo paper pushing which became very helpful to me because that's one of the hardest things for restaurants it's such a people mm -hmm. business that the paperwork the back end always gets um it's an oversight you know so uh for us it's for me specifically it helped me stay organized in this business that's so chaotic and it's allowed us to continue to grow and scale. Do you have any other, you know, jobs you worked when you were younger that also played a big influence and a big help in, you know, starting up the restaurant? Yeah, um, jobs, school, all that definitely played a role. People, experiences, all that uh, laid laid the seeds for you know what I'm doing now. So uh, I was. This wasn't too. Um, this wasn't too much of a influence to me, but it it made me start seeing. Uh, my first job was at Food for Less, which no longer exists in Las Vegas. It was on Nelson Lake Mead, so it was like a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, and you know, I was 16. I always I, I wanted to work from the beginning. I tried to get a work permit two months too early, and I freaked out when I they they didn't allow it. Right, the the state didn't allow it. So. Uh, but it helped me just to grind. You know, you it's the the grind 
when it starts, it never ends. And mm -hmm. the minute that you think it ends is the minute that you probably stop growing. So I, uh, you know, just seeing missed opportunities. And it wasn't because of my job performance or my capabilities. It was because of my age. But age can, it was a factor at that point. But it, what it made me see was that there's always going to be an obstacle that's out of your control. And, you know, keeping your nose to the grindstone and continuing to move up and sometimes change jobs or change uh, perspective, it's a good thing. And so that, that was my experience at Food for Less was, you know, they didn't want to promote me because I wasn't 18. Mm -hmm. But I knew it and, I was, and they all knew I'm the one that deserved a promotion, a 17-year-old. But, uh, you know, that was, that, that was a good experience. And uh, also, I, uh, I did, while I was working insurance, I never liked working insurance. I was great at it. I'm a natural salesman, but I, I just didn't enjoy the sitting down on a computer kind of aspect. So I was always doing other stuff, you know, while I was working in the insurance business. And in one of those things, my dad, uh, he used to work at UNLV as a groundskeeper. Mm. Actually, he actually retired from UNLV as a groundskeeper. And uh, he, he told me one day, he's like, hey, at the end of the semester, they're constantly throwing out books, textbooks, bags of them, bags of them. And I told him, okay, well, I want to see these textbooks. Because at that time, I was already enrolled in college, and I knew the, the high costs involved with oh, textbooks. Yeah. And uh, so I, we started compiling all these textbooks that were being thrown away, garbage bags full of them. Uh, most of them were old edition. But... That's one of the ways you save money in college. Mm -hmm. You don't need the newest edition. That's, it's, it's usually a, a bigger price tag. The most, the, the, the bulk of the information is, is almost similar, and then you can get creative by scanning the pages that you need to scan to get the information that is missing in the old edition. So I started selling old edition textbooks on Amazon, and that was before Amazon was like prime. Mm -hmm. like now it was an, I had an Amazon store, and at one point I was shipping out... Uh, I think my busiest month was like 60 to 80 books and just, you know, I was making thousands of dollars like it doing this, going to the, to the, the to the, sorry, the postal service every single day. And, um, yeah, that was kind of my first entrepreneurial without really knowing I was, I was doing it just cause I needed to stay busy. Mm -hmm. I'm just a person that I can't stop doing anything I just until I shut my eyes that's that's when my day ends and so that was a really good experience for just getting my entrepreneurial gears started yeah so from the beginning like you've always had a, a knack for work ethic and it seems like you know selling and everything came natural because I hear stories from you know people who are in sales and entrepreneurial and they talk about stories in grade school you know selling cards trading doing all that type of stuff when most people don't Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty awesome. What did you go to school for? I was a psychology major. So um, I was always interested since the seventh grade. I pretty much figured out that I'm very interested in behavior, mm -hmm. human mind, uh, choices. And so I, uh, <laughs> Mr. Pellucci, <laughs> he was my seventh grade human, what did they call it? It wasn't called psychology, human something. Anyways, rather, it was about you know, the basics mm -hmm. of, it was like Psych 101. And he was a great instructor. And from that moment, I knew that I was, I wanted to learn more uh, about why we did the things that we did. And so I, I, at the age, I had trouble in high school. I wasn't, uh, 
the best student in high school and you know the, my kind of personality I like I explored too much I was too curious so uh, a lot of my time in high school wasn't well spent but then a good friend of mine told me told me about this charter school program that was brand new to Nevada State College, mm. right? And Nevada State College was also brand new. This is 2006. I think Nevada State College started in like 04, 05. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Nevada State College allowed the Hawks, Dr. Wendy and John Hawk, to create this charter school called Nevada State High School. And it was basically a dual credit college program where they assigned courses that were equivalent to advanced um classes in high school so it was available to junior and and uh junior and seniors i was a sophomore my gpa wasn't good i was lost i hated going to high school i was very independent so the babysitting um mentality that happens unfortunately in a lot of public schools Mm -hmm. didn't fit for me and so i acted out and in that i missed a lot of good opportunities that i probably could have had so I heard about this program, and so I wanted to, I don't know, something motivated me to say, I want to go try this. So I left. I was going to Votech, which is now known as, like, Southern Vocational something. Mm-hmm. And so I went to uh, to Nevada State High School, and that's when I realized that I love college, and I was really good at it. Uh, the independence factor, the, the way that it's in your hands, that really made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, my, my family... Both my parents have GEDs, so they never, higher education was never something that we really, uh, that was emphasized. Mm -hmm. It was more, hey, find a job, get a job, stay in a job. Both my parents have great work ethic. Uh, My mom was 30-year, like, admin, professional secretary, where I learned a lot of my organizational skills from and who is actually a partner in the business now, too, where she was able to retire 15 years early, and now she's, uh, she's got a full-time job with with makers and finders and so I uh, once I saw the power of college and higher education when I graduated high school uh, there was a few bumps and bruises along the way but thankfully I had great uh, Dr. Hawk the the Hawks were very great people and very helpful people to me and uh, I, I I thank them recently I still see them and it's it's great to see them now because they've seen my journey and how tough it was for me during those years. And so I ended up transferring to UNLV and kept going and got my degree when I was 21 um, and almost kept going. I wanted to get a PhD. I wanted to be a forensic psychologist, but I took my GREs. I wasn't focused near the end and I needed uh, I needed to just break off. It wasn't, it wasn't the right fit for me anymore, but I learned a lot um, towards the end of my, my undergrad uh, degree. I was working in psych laboratories. I was, you know, I got co-authored on a couple uh, academic articles, so I was really into it. I was just, I really love that, that, uh, that, um, that field, mm-hmm. psychology. And it taught me a lot about myself. Later on in the future, I realized what it was really meant for. And it's, you know, the, the chaos of being a business owner, you need a strong psyche to, <laughs> to be able to survive and grow. And so that was that was very influential to me, going being able to get my bachelor's degree, be the first one in my immediate family, and I'm proud of that. 
I like that. And you're right. That's that's important. And you may not realize it at the time, but, you know, uh, looking back on it from from now, you can see how a lot of those what you learned through college and everything helps. So after you graduated, you, you spoke about how you thought about going to get your Ph.D. Um, what took you away from that and what avenue did you go down right after college? So <clears throat> I was starting to get more involved in the business side of things. I started getting ascending in the insurance world. I uh, got after Eric. I jumped into a couple agencies and ended up at my fi- my last agency, which is with Jen Sias, who's a pretty well-known, Jen Sias-like, sorry, who's a pretty well-known beast in the insurance I- industry uh, for State Farm. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started unlocking the potential of sales and commissions and all that. And so I kind of got pulled into, I wanted to finish my degree and I finished strong, but once I wasn't prepared enough for my GREs and saw my scores, I said, this is probably something I got to put to rest for right now. And so I was working um, at, at that office and started to make you know some pretty decent money and saving up some money, bought a home, a town home at the time. It was you know very inexpensive, got all the tax credits, bought a home without any closing costs or down payment. So it was excellent move for me. And so I started getting more involved in the business side of things. And with with the insurance job, I was so good at it that um, I just didn't take a lot of effort or mental power to mm-hmm. really do it. So I had a lot of free mental space and time. And that's when I started exploring. I've always had this attraction to restaurants. My older brother worked at a restaurant. I never did. I always had like this... I, I was interested, just so curious about it because I thought it was really cool. The the, the social aspect of it where, hey, you're just walking around, talking to people, serving drinks and food. I'm like, that sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm over here stuck at a desk and I don't want to be in this desk. So in that, I started kind of, that's when I started exploring the markets and I felt that what I knew best was my Colombian roots, my New York roots. And I know that, hey, there's no, there's nothing like what I know exists in New York City. And then I started looking outside of New York City, St. Paul, Minneapolis, LA. Wait, all these places have Colombian restaurants. And now they're making them more approachable and they're trendy and they're dinner spots and there's cocktails and there's this. And I got really intrigued by that. And so I started looking for my first restaurant job, and it ended up happening. I was, I ended up working at Herbs and Rye when it opened before it was what the, mm-hmm. the Herbs and Rye that we know now. And uh, you know, Nick Talley, the owner, he took me, he took me on, and started learning about restaurants. And I jumped around a little bit, um, but I really knew that I loved it, and it was exactly what I envisioned it growing up. I, it, it's fun. It's so energetic. And so I started learning the restaurant side of things because I, I w- as I was saving up money in the insurance business, I had to start building my education in the restaurant business because I had none. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started learning so much, and I was, I'm not afraid to ask questions. So I was doing all positions, asking the kitchen, the cooks this, the chef that, and they always told me, like, why do you ask so many questions? And I knew deep inside why, mm-hmm. but they didn't know yet. Not just yet. I like that. And I agree with you. Uh, The restaurant industry is a little bit different. So my grandfather actually worked in a restaurant before he retired up in Salt Lake, where I'm originally from. 
my father did worked at my grandpa's restaurant and then before he actually owned his own deli and then i actually through college worked as a a chef at the veterans home and so there's there's a different draw in like the busy work and everything around it i i was really attracted to that too so when you kind of were putting together this vision for makers and finders did you envision it getting this big i think initially i was so caught up in how can i make it happen you know it's uh 60% 60% fail rate for mm-hmm. restaurants, uh, post-recession, banks weren't too uh, encouraged to, to, to lend money. They got, got a lot of no's, met with some investors. That was a really good experience. Start, you know, I was sitting at a bar. I was 21, 22, sitting at a bar with a 70-year-old guy with a giant pinky ring, and I was like, this is cool. I like this. And... Uh, learned a lot in, in a, a lot of defeats, a lot of obstacles, but in those, I learned a lot. And uh, I started to really build the concept, and it was, and I never, actually never mentioned what Eric James told me about when I, when I came back several years later and I had my concept somewhat built. Mm-hmm. And it was all built around arepas and empanadas, right, which is what makers and finders food uh, primarily is and but it was only that there was specialty coffee was not involved yet and so I bring him this little marketing deck that I put together and I was so excited I walked in with a strut I was feeling good about myself and I walked out with my chin down because the one thing he told me and it was very true I it was originally called areperos that was the first name and areperos in Spanish means a person that makes arepas right mm-hmm. uh, and the first thing he told me was well I don't know what arepas are I don't know what this means I'm just gonna assume it's another Mexican restaurant mm-hmm. how are you gonna stand out if it sounds like everything else and it clicked and he uh, he was absolutely right and from then on my focus became I don't want a name that's going to give it away. And I need something else. A couple investors said the same thing. Well, these pictures of the of arepas and empanadas look delicious. But once again, this is Las Vegas. They don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. If we're talking tacos, everyone knows what tacos are. Now, at that time, no one knew what arepas and empanadas were. So they told me, he told me the name's giving it away. And then they told me, well, the product is something that we don't know. So I needed a better name nondescript but with a lot of strength to it and something to something more well known and that's when i started conceptualizing the idea of coffee and i'm colombian so naturally you know i I grew up drinking coffee my whole life and at the same time i learned about the specialty coffee scene the third wave as as Mm -hmm. as they call it in the special specialty coffee world it was at the time really starting to ignite now it's Mm full-blown you know in las vegas 2018 there was 12 independent specialty coffee shops that opened up so back then it wasn't there yet it was in in las vegas i should say in other places it was Uh, And I started looking at all these cool brewing devices. That's when I started learning about single-origin coffees, processes to coffees, and it just opened my mind. I was legitimately mind-blown as to what coffee was really about. It was looking at it through a lens that we see wine, that we see tea, where it's regional and it's uh, something more microscopic, where we're looking at not just the bean, but... The, the, the farmers, the soil, the elevation, 
the, the varietals, and I was very drawn to that. And that's when I figured out, wait a minute, this is what it needs to be. It needs to be coffee and, um, you know, diapas and empanadas will be like my hook. And in that, in that experience, I started building the concept and we changed the name to Boulevard. And I wanted that urban feel like mm -hmm. that. I wanted you to walk in. There was nothing like that in Vegas at the time. I wanted to feel like New York City, San Francisco, where you walk in and you're transported. And so Boulevard was the, uh, the name that we used for a long time to kind of embrace that urban feel. And then we put together the package where it's now specialty coffee and these arepas and empanadas. And the same investor looked at it and he's like, okay, now you're on to something. I like this. And that's gave, uh, that gave us the confidence to keep growing that concept. And this was a couple of years in the making. And, um, and it all culminated for, for me mentally when we had, a, we, we had that confidence of, hey, people like it. And then we did a festival in downtown in 2012, and we were second busiest to, to a, a taco truck, mm -hmm. which, I mean, we're like, whoa, like those, those are tacos, and we're over here second. We have a line, too. And nobody knows what arepas and empanadas are, but they like the branding. They like what we're doing. And that was get, that gave us a lot of confidence to start really looking for loans and the money side of things. And we got a lot of hard no's. And uh, we were about ready to give up in, in 2013. Late 2012 was when we did that, that food fet, the Latin food festival in downtown. Great confidence from the investor meetings. And then end of 2012, really, you know, it felt like, well, maybe this is just an idea and that's where this is going to stay. And so in early 2012, I proposed to my business partner at the time that uh, I found this program uh, called Workaway, very popular in Europe, uh, Germany. I mean, all these European people use this program and it's a, it's a, it's a job hosting. It's a work exchange program with a social kind of social media kind of interface where mm -hmm. you can look all over the world for places that will take you in, let you lodge for free, sometimes eat for free in exchange for work. And I was, I had the bright idea. I'm like, I need to go work on a coffee farm. I need to go see this from the root. And uh, that's what we did. So through Workaway, I met uh, Hidalgo. Hidalgo is a farmer in Santa Marta, Colombia, which is a coastal city, not, not as well known as Cartagena, which is the other coastal city in, in Colombia and did this journey to Santa Marta, took a taxi to this, this bird-watching town up in the mountains called Minca. From Minca, I still remember what this guy, the farmer, told me. I, I was so nervous. I didn't know what was happening. And I'm like, hey, like, I needed more information. I'm like, I need to know this. How do I get there? What do I do here? What do I do then? Um, and I wrote him this long message, and he replies with two sentences. And the, se the last sentence said, Josh, close your eyes, come here, and I'll meet you at the town. And literally, that's what he wrote to me. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to do that because I'm not getting the answers I need, and I need to go see this through. And he was there with uh, two, two mulas, donkeys. Um, and then from Minca, which is 45-minute drive from the actual city, Santa Marta, it was a two-hour uh, donkey ride up to the farm 
Uh, and this region is very unique. Region. Well, Colombia, as in general, Colombia has 55 subclimates. It oh, is wow. one of the most unique uh, ecosystems in the world. It is truly captivating to at that mountain range. They're growing avocados. It's humid, but right close by, there's an ice cap. It is doesn't make any sense, but it exists. And I, you know, that in that journey, that was that was for me the journey that I needed to have to come back and um, really understand what it is that I wanted to do. And I worked in the coffee farm there, and then took buses um, all down Colombia down went straight south to Colombia, cut through Ecuador, all on buses. And some of these buses were, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine. These are rural areas, third world country, very poor, uh, hot, humid, and uh, somehow made it to Peru. And then this was even a small, this was a village at this point. And I met this, another workaway host. He was Finnish, but he bought land in Peru, married a Peruvian wife. And he, uh, I, I took a bus, and in, in, in South America, you get on a bus and you go between cities, but in between the cities, there's people jumping off and off, jumping off. And that's what they told me I had to do. Like, at oh, this stop, you have to get off. And I got off in this village, and this Finnish guy picks me up in a truck and drives me an hour into this 800 inhabitant village. And um, I worked on a farm there. Got super sick from drinking three times boiled water, lost almost 30 pounds in five days. And that for me was, okay. I came back with like a different, I came back a different person, I feel like. And uh, that was the, that was the experience that then led me to do Makers and Finders. So that, you, you really needed to go and take that time to, you know, get clear about your vision then, right? Yeah. I don't think if I would have done that, if I didn't do that, I don't know if there would be a makers and finders. It was because that was that that was my that was when I was going to give up. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I came back ready for whatever. So when you came back, you were you know super motivated to get everything happen. And then what was your first steps when you got back? Uh, first step was try one more loan. And if I told myself if they say no then I'm going to put my I'm going to put all my chips in and I'm going to find I'm going to raise $100,000 and once I have $100,000 locked in I'm going to sign a lease. And so of course we, the bank said no. Um and then from there I had savings because I did well from I did well in the insurance business and told my mom I'm like hey I need you to believe in me and I need this and it was scary because they that's that that was how they were building their their retirement through their savings mm -hmm. uh, and she believed in me my younger brother omar he believed in me um my previous business partner she was believing in it and we somehow raised a hundred thousand dollars and that's when i started looking for the place and at the time fremont was kind of like the cool place mm -hmm. before all the things that now it's it's going through so much now right but at the time, 2013, 2014, I thought it was going to be in Fremont. But then I stumble across Main Street, and there wasn't much going on, nothing like what it looks like now. But I found the space, and I called the guy, and 
you know, at the time, the rent was so cheap. And I signed the lease. And that was, that was the beginning of, you know, walking into so, a place that I didn't know completely blind and just, you know, all I had was my tool bag full of experiences. And that was going to be what make, made it happen. And, it, and somehow it did. So you mentioned a little bit earlier that makers and finders came during that process. What made it click to where you were like makers and finders? This is this is it. This is the name. Yeah. So I was very much at the time, very my mentality was, you know, I was very inspired. Very. It was a very inspirational time for me. I, uh, I read a book by Edward Glazer. I'm not the biggest book reader, but when I read books, it's meant to be because mm-hmm. um, every time I read a book, it just opens my mind. And uh, I read the book Triumph of the City, and it was just this beautiful uh, collection of history um, and what, why the city, the, the the why the city is the machine for for human beings and what what it did for civilization and that whole urban, you know building up instead of building wide. It was something that really drew my imagination. And I was in, and you know, I'm from New York City and being from a, from, from a city like New York and then coming to Las Vegas, it's, it's different, you know. It, uh, it's, this place was built in a different time for different reasons. And uh, so I was still very much inspired by that, by New York City and that book. And so a re- I was going to name it after this expressway in New York City that I grew up by in Queens, the Van Wyck Expressway, right? I love that name. I, I, I always just remember scenes in my head as a kid just driving through and just staring at those words. And um, I was like, okay, well, let me name it. But I wasn't in love with it. I just knew that it meant something to me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so at the end of it, we had already signed the lease, the construction was already going. I'm like, I, I gotta make a decision here. Like, if it's gonna be Van Wyck, my, my ex-business partner, sh- she loved that name and she wanted to go with that name. And I wasn't completely settled on it. And when I was gonna settle for it, I told myself, well, I should probably know who this person is before I name it after my coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So that's that was the road that led me to la- Makers and Finders. So the Van Wyck, that the expressway is named after super influential in new york city public school system to me it was kind of boring to be honest with you it was great man but boring to me mm-hmm. but right the next famous van wick was a guy from by the name of van wick brooks and he caught my eye because he was this mid-century post-war capitalist idealist economist that just uh, that wrote a series of articles called Makers and Finders. And when I read them, and I, uh, and I was just, that was it. Immediately in, my, in that moment, which it was like four in the morning, and it was like after a night of having a few drinks, and I just stumble across this person and this, this series of articles, and I knew it. And that was it. I knew that that was what I needed to name it, and... That's how that's how the name came about. I love that name, and it's it's so unique, and I think it's it kind of fits into that urban you know uh, feel that you're trying to give it. 
Um, so after you, you know, started down in the arts district, what led you to open uh, another location in downtown Summerlin? So we, you asked earlier about if I always felt that it was going to be this big. Now, after we cleared the hurdle of signing the lease, I always felt that it needed to be this big. Mm -hmm. And I still believe that it needs to be bigger. And so I was, uh, I knew that it's in, in my mind, I need to help bring this food that I grew up with, this food that was so dear to me, you know, it's handmade. You know, my mom made arepas every Sunday, uh, coffee. It's something that meant so much to me, and I want it to mean so much to other people uh, because I know what it, that little corn cake, it packs so much culture, so much love, so mm -hmm. much meaning. So I, uh, I, I knew that I needed to keep it growing. And after having some, some early success in the arts district, since we opened Bare Bones, a lot of the first year and a half was just like buying equipment, buying stuff that we needed to grow into, mm -hmm. retro retrofitting stuff that I built completely backwards. Uh, and and then in 2000, 2016, uh, end of 2016, I started thinking about the next step. And at that same time, I got news that I was going to have my son, Hudson. And um, and that when I found out that I was going to be a father, I just felt now that legacy was coming into my brain and I need to grow this and I need to start doing this now. And at the time, it was big impact. How can I have the biggest impact? And I was looking at Summerlin. I love Summerlin originally. I don't really like telling this story, but you know we were gonna go to Water Street in Henderson. Now it's Public Works Coffee. Um, I'm still sorry, Wyndham. And so I pulled out of that project because I felt it wasn't the right fit and uh, started looking at Summerlin. And so I wanted big impact. And a mall, I mean, Macy's, I mean, there's brands that are giant brands. Mm -hmm. How can I have big impact in Summerlin? And I, and when I saw the space that was now, you know, that is now Makers and Finders downtown Summerlin, I walked in and I immediately felt that it, it had the walls were already kind of like this concrete. It had some brick overlay. The layout was perfect. I'm, I'm a big believer in the basics, colors and shapes, you know. Mm -hmm. And the shape was this rectangle, and I that's that's the shape I need depth, that dimension to give people this feeling when you walk in. Mm -hmm. And it had the shape and it had the patio and it, it had all the makings to, 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 to another, to the second makers and finders. And that was a tough one because uh, I signed the lease to that two days before my son was born, August 1st. My son was born August 3rd. And <laughs> I'm sure many can imagine how expensive it is to be over there. They're, the big brands are there for a reason. Mm -hmm. But um, somehow, some way, we got it opened in four months, and it was very vicious. Those four months were extremely uh, challenging for me. Um, I had never 
I had never had any idea what scaling meant, and it, it, and I found out that I didn't know anything, as, especially in hindsight. And so we opened December twenty first, and twenty eighteen, uh, we had a you know the the Summerlin crowd received us well, but internally it was very difficult, very very challenging, and we went through a lot of obstacles. Me personally, my family, <clears throat> my family, but. You know, these are the things that rebuild you and make you stronger, and that's what it did. And now uh, we just, you know, now it's our third step. And um, to 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 take makers and finders to a level that I imagine it at, we need foundation and we need uh, structure, and that's what this third step is that we just announced. And um, so last week. The Review Journal broke the story about uh, our a new concept, and that's another thing. I wanted, we need offices, we need a catering center, we need uh, uh, we need a place that aren't the restaurants because there's mm -hmm. too there's too much chaos at the restaurants. Now they're busy and they're I can't be at the restaurant and try to get work done anymore. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So we went uh, in Chinatown. We had a storage unit for since 2017 where we were just throwing all our excess restaurant equipment um, in the retail space directly next to the warehouse because it's on the corner uh, became available and i was very interested in it it was small and i wanted to do most people in the third the third effort they make they go big mm -hmm. and i wanted to not go big i wanted to go small concise and execute at at, at the highest level that i ever have which i still think that this is going to be it uh, even though makers and finders are what they are now i don't feel like I executed them at my best level. Mm -hmm. And so the new concept is take it easy. And that's, to me, has a lot of meaning to me, that that phrase. Um, one, makers and finders, as you kind of mentioned, it's very energetic, very urban. And, it, and that's what we pride ourselves in. That's mm -hmm. our branding. That's our identity where you go in and it's, it's not for the people that want a very quiet coffee shop. Yeah. You know, it's for the people who want to be energized by others and by conversations. And and so that's what Makers and Finders is. It's a bustling cafe. Take it easy is almost like our, our, our alter ego because I'm a very type A person. One of my biggest realizations in my life was that I can't sustain mm -hmm. being this way. I need to have a way to calm it down. I need to be able to... Uh, manage my my intensity mm -hmm. and so uh, my my father <laughs> my I, I take after my mom she's also type a my dad is totally type b he enjoys the little things in life mm -hmm. he'll talk to you about some very beautiful potato chips he found at whole <laughs> yeah. foods and he'll go on and on about it and i wanted to engender some of that energy like he's a people person mm -hmm. my mom always struggled with relationships, friendships, because we're very intense people. Mm -hmm. And my father was the guy that everybody loved. And um, in my personal experiences and going through, you know, a tough year in 2019, um, realizing what it really what it really means to be a father, I looked at my father. And he always, my fa all my family, if, you li if you're listening to this, you know exactly what he always said. <laughs> and that was it. He always said, take it easy with his little accent and gestures. 
every time he goes behind my mom and taps her back, take it easy, take it easy. And one time we were sitting having dinner and I heard him say it. And at that moment, it was my moment of inspiration. And I'm like, that's it. That's what it needs to be. Because that's what I need to be. <laughs> that's what we need to be. Mm -hmm. And that's how that concept kind of came into fruition. And I wanted something different. I didn't want, I wanted to use another side of my brain. And makers and finders, as much as I, uh, it means everything. It's everything to me. But I knew that I, I felt like I had something else to give. And so Take It Easy is going to be our coffee roastery. Um, we're going to be using this state-of-the-art Diedrich uh, made, in, made in the USA uh, coffee roaster with infrared technology, very clean, uh, very unique machine. Uh, we're pairing that with a La Marzocco mod bar. So, I mean, the name itself kind of tells you how cool it is. Mm -hmm. It's literally a, uh, an espresso machine that's, a blind, that's blind and built into the counter. And it has these server bo look, box looking server things that operate it. And it's truly an incredible uh, piece of equipment that I look forward to, to having. And then, of course, got to stay true to the roots. Um, we got the Arepas and Empanadas in Las Vegas, but there's another thing that we're missing in Las Vegas, and that's the Colombian Bakery. There's one on every corner in New York City, and uh, Pan de Bonos, Buñuelos, Pan de Yuca, um, Pan con Queso. These are things that, once again, I grew up with, and I feel so much towards these, these items. And uh, I f now we're gonna make our, the first Colombian Bakery in Las Vegas serving these these uh, these baked items that I grew up with. And uh, we're also gonna keep our empanadas there. We're gonna mix in some flatbreads. It's gonna be in a very sleek, minimal space. Very different from what Makers and Finders. Makers is more like industrial, rugged. Um, now Take It Easy is gonna be very sleek, very minimal, and very much about the craft. I like the direction you're heading. I'm excited for that to come out. Just the way you're describing it is I'm like, oh, wow, that seems <laughs> I got to go check that out. But, you know, to kind of wrap us up, I had one last question is, have you thought of bringing this concept outside of Vegas to other places that kind of lack, um, you know, a lot of the cultural influence? Like first thing that comes to mind is Salt Lake, um, where I grew up in you know, it's it's really big foodie, coffee. It's starting to grow in that area, but there's not a lot of cultural diversity. So have you thought of, like, bringing it to other markets outside of Las Vegas? Yeah, I feel like you're, you got, you looked inside my brain or something because uh, that's definitely in the works. And we're building Take It Easy with our offices and all that uh, foundational work because that's the intention, is that the there's going to be a third makers and finders and we're projecting end of 2020 and without yeah we don't want to give too much away but you, you're basically on what you said is the track that we're we're looking at we we believe that we do want to bring it we do want people to experience and get feel a, di a certain mood that mm -hmm. th that our culture could bring in um yes to awesome. answer your question well, I'm excited. You know, I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Thank you for your time. You're a busy man, so I'll let you get back to your work. And then for everyone who's listening, if you haven't, you know, uh, been to Makers and Finders, you know, I'd encourage you to go out there, try it. Um, 
also be on the lookout for Take It Easy. I think when I was looking up information on that, you're kind of planning on opening that April of 2020? Yes. In there. That's so correct. be on the lookout for that. Um, and then again, I really appreciate you being on. I appreciate you having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for your support and watching and liking our videos. Please don't forget to subscribe and also follow our Facebook page, Loyal to the Soil Dash Podcast. Thank you very much. It's very much appreciated.